Alright everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers where we have author Drew Williams to talk about his new book, The Stars Now Unclaimed. Now on the press release, I really like it because it says the fans of Firefly and The Expanse will love this book. And, Absolutely. I mean, that's that's perfect. I love Firefly. Fantastic series that definitely disappeared long before it should have. Um, oh, heartbreaking. Yeah. I watched Firefly in its original run, and I remember, you know, before Serenity even, like when Objects in Space was the last episode that aired. Yeah. And I remember knowing that at the time and just being like, no, this can't. No, River just got something close to fixed. Yeah. I need to see where this goes. Yeah, and, and not only that, I, I, I remember when they originally aired it too. It's like they aired it out of order. I don't know what Fox was thinking. It was not. Oh, it was insane. A buddy of mine and I, I'm going to, by the way, admit to illegal Napster using because that's the years it was. I think between like the second and third episode, a torrent of the pilot leaked online. So we watched that. So we saw the actual pilot way earlier than most people. And it was like, this makes so much more sense. Yeah. Like we've been a little lukewarm on the series with the first two aired episodes, but then watching the pilot was like, no, okay, I get who everyone is. I get what their relationships are together. Why did you do this, Fox? Why Why do you hate this show? Just, just because? <laughs> because you paid for it and you decided that, no, you shouldn't have? But, okay, it's only been 15 years. So, yeah. You know. <laughs> I, honestly, I honestly don't think they knew what they had at the time. Um, I mean, the, the fact that even 15 years later, it's still as popular as it is. I mean, there's board games coming okay. out, comics. It's just steamrolling its, it's way. Complete cultural touchstone for a whole... It's that notion of that thing that Star Wars did so well, right? That yeah. thing where space was this sort of grubby frontier. We were so used to seeing things being sort of clean and very sort of 2001 or even very Star Trek. But all of a sudden, there's Star Wars and this notion, this is just people living their lives, and then you have Firefly sort of double down on that. I remember, I think the quote from Joss Whedon floating around about the time the show aired was that it was a ship crewed entirely by Han Solos. Yeah. Like it was that, these are all people sort of on the fringes of society. And even, you know, 500 years in the future, there's always going to be fringes of society. And those are just more interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, the other thing that was really interesting is they ran into resource problems where they didn't have enough money for fuel I mean, there's that whole episode where they're floating out in space. Uh, you know, you had pirates. I mean, it was definitely gritty and dark. And you had that really cool theme of Western added to it. Exactly. Just that people who are basically just trying to survive. Like, yeah. the vast majority of that show isn't about saving the galaxy. It's not even necessarily about doing the right thing most of the time. It's usually just about how do we keep living for another day? Like, how do we literally stay in the sky? Which was just such like, yeah, that's a theme that could have carried that show for seasons upon seasons. And yet we only got, what, 13 episodes? Thanks, yeah. Fox. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, looping this back to your book, um, on the cover, it says, <laughs> Smugglers, spies, and a snark and snarky spaceships in a kick-ass race to save the universe. Beautiful <laughs> elevator pitch and tagline there. So tell us about a little bit about the book and what we'll find in its pages. Absolutely. The Stars Now Unclaimed, like basically where I started with the novel was I wanted to write a post-apocalyptic space opera. 
So okay. to take a universe like Star Trek, to take a universe like Star Wars, where you had these sort of, you know, dozens and hundreds and thousands of planets that had been terraformed, that had been settled, but then there'd been this sort of massive cataclysm that basically rendered each world, um, it affected the technology differently on some. So some worlds might still have completely high functioning science fiction you're going to have, you know, lasers and orbital cannons and dreadnoughts and clone bays. And then on another world, you've basically got pre-industrial revolution tech. So it's that notion that on one world, you could have, much like with Firefly, on one world, you could have sort of horse and buggy as your primary method of transportation. And on the next, you've got, you know, high-speed rail and ships dropping in from orbit. And I just wanted to be able to play with the broadest canvas possible. So it's the notion that this apocalypse has happened to this universe, happened 100 years ago. You've had a couple of generations sort of born into this changed universe, but people are still trying to figure out where it came from and why it happened, because this was a thing that just occurred. It's not like there was some, you know, intergalactic god coming down from the sky and saying technology has gone too far for the vast majority of people living in the universe this is a thing that just happened like thanos's snap in infinity war right yeah the vast majority of people living in the marvel universe have no idea why 50 percent of the people they know just died yeah well no i i like that you're doing that because it, it makes this universe a giant sandbox you can do anything in I mean, really, yeah, I mean, if you want to do a Western, you can do it. If you want to do something kind of steampunkish, it sounds like you could even jump in there. Cyberpunk. Uh, yeah. yeah. From essentially like 1880s to now to sort of pick your era of science fiction. Like if you, if I wanted to jump into, say, The Terminator, yeah. I could jump into Terminator. If I wanted to jump into Star Wars, I could jump into Star Wars. Like it, that's always the fun with science fiction, though it's based off of specifically is when you have that notion of, again, millions upon millions of worlds, of settled worlds, it's that notion of, well, that's also millions upon millions of cultures, millions upon millions of different histories, millions upon millions of different interactions you can have. So the canvas, just there's so, there's so little limit on the stories you can tell that it's just fascinating to me. Yeah. So where did this idea come from? It had to have come from somewhere. The atomic bomb, absolutely, oh. came from the atomic bomb. There was a story, I've heard this over and over, I have no idea if this is actually true, by the way. This may be completely apocryphal, but I've heard it enough that, I'm not going to say I believe it, but it's where the story came from anyway. Okay. It was the notion that when the Manhattan Project was going on, when Oppenheimer was building the atomic bomb out in the desert, remember, this was completely unknown technology. This was yeah. all entirely theoretical. There was a percentage of scientists working on the Manhattan Project that thought it was not statistically impossible that when they set off the bomb for the first time, it could create an atomic chain reaction that would just spread and consume the entire atmosphere of Earth, that it would literally kill everything. And yet they still moved forward and went ahead with the bomb because they needed to win the war. And so that question of essentially what would have happened if they had how desperate do you have to be to even test a weapon that could have consequence even if it's only you know a a five percent chance even if it's only a 0.5 percent chance they rolled the dice with the lives of every single person on the planet 
and they thought it was worth it to stop the Axis powers. Yeah. And so just as a moral question, that was fascinating to me. No, I mean, I, I've read and listened to and watched several documentaries on that. Um, and it is amazing. It's fascinating because they did know that. They're like, there's this chance it could obliterate the world. It could fry who knows what. And they weren't so desperate that they still followed through with it. So I, I like that kind of the concept where this story came from. Um, Thank you. Yeah, no, I, and it's really cool. I mean, history, when you can find a pinpoint of something in history that just sparks this idea that just blooms uh, from there, it is, it's always amazing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's like, well, Battlestar Galactica, the notion of all of this has happened before, all of this will happen again. There are all sorts of stories throughout history, all sorts of time periods. The, honestly, the best reference any writer has is Wikipedia. I went down a rabbit hole on the Roman Empire about two days ago, just this like about 100 year span in the Roman Empire that I knew nothing about. I was like, there are six books in here, like oh, not yeah. just one. There are six different premises that I could adapt to fantasy, to sci-fi, to horror, to tell a new story just in this 100-year span of the Roman Empire. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, the, the Roman no. Empire is fascinating. Uh, just everything they've done, I mean, the atrocities that happened to them, the atrocities they committed, it's, it's, it's a fascinating time period. And again, like the Roman Empire, feudal Japan, I mean, sub-Saharan Africa during sort of the, the Muslim Age of Enlightenment. Like there are all these sort of fascinating moments in history that um, a, good, uh, uh, a buddy of mine, a guy named Jonathan French, wrote a fantastic novel. Um, oh, God, it's worth in the middle of this interview and the name has totally escaped me. Is it the Grey Bastards? I think it's the Grey Bastards. But he basically drew, it's basically Sons of Anarchy meets High Fantasy, but he drew heavily from El Cid, which is this sort of period in Spanish history that people just don't know a lot about. So it's just really that notion of the more you can draw from history to tell new stories, the more sort of unexplored avenues you can find. Yeah. Yeah, no. That actually sounds like a fun book, too. Uh, it really is. I highly suggest your readers take a look. All right. Jonathan... There it is, folks. Uh, take a listen to that. So let's talk a little bit about your writing process because almost every author is different in how they write. Uh, you know, sure. You've got panzers out there that just write by the seat of their pants. There's outliners that outline in such detail that it's, it's crazy. So where do you fall on the spectrum? I am absolutely a seat of the pants guy. All I right. write chronologically. I write every single day. I write first thing in the morning. Honestly, more for psychological reasons, because once I've finished writing in the morning, I can be like, hey, I've done something with my day. I've yeah. been successful today. But yeah, I'll like as I'm going throughout the rest of my day, if I get, you know, a random line of dialogue will come across my mind or a random scene will come across my mind. I'll jot that down. But in terms of structure, no, it's always OK. As every time I sit down, it's a blank page and it's what happened in the last chapter. Where do I go from here? And usually Oh, Drew, you bastard from yesterday. Why did you stick me here? I don't know where to take this. I hate you. But I mean, honestly, it's why writing becomes to me a little less interesting the closer you get to the end of a book, just because by that point, you kind of have to know what's happening. Yeah. And it's less a sense of discovery while you're writing it. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree. Uh, when I write, I'm kind of, I am a panzer as well. I, I just sit down. I have a basic idea. And then I'm always amazed where the story ends up, and you're like, man, that's a lot better than I thought it was going to be yesterday. Uh, exactly, yeah. 
not fun for you, then it's not going to be fun for the reader, right? Yeah. And if you already know everything that's going to happen, I, I just don't see how that's fun. But, you know, no offense to outline writers. I get that they're doing something very specific and very structured, and I just don't see how they do it. I couldn't. Like, mm-hmm. if I outlined that that much, I'd get bored halfway through and be like, no, no, I already know all this. Yeah. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. Uh, and, and not only that, I just I can't do it. It's like I the more yeah. I try to sit there and do it, it's like my brain's just like, no, no, I'm not even going to do this. And I also feel like doing it that way, and again, I feel like I'm being way too harsh on other writers right now, but I feel like doing it that way means you're cutting yourself off to things you might discover while you're writing. Like if you're writing this character and you've got this whole arc planned out for them, well, what if you write this great scene in the middle of you know the third chapter that completely changes that arc? Well, too bad you're stuck in the arc you've already outlined for. Like if you you need, I feel like you need to be able to continually discover things about your character, about mm-hmm. your world, sort of different paths you can follow. And if you're stuck following the same path you started on, I feel like that's just less interesting. Yeah. No, I mean it, again, just like you said, you know that's how they do it, and that's fantastic for them. Uh, yeah. and there are a lot of fantastic stories that we get out of that process, but I, I know Let's it's see. definitely Let's not, see. it's not what I'm comfortable with or what I enjoy doing or, or it sounds like, or that you enjoy doing either. No, 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 no. Nothing else. I ain't nearly organized enough to pull that off. Yeah. Like I, I literally couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So. What else have you written besides this? I mean, short stories, other novels, what else? Other novels? Uh, I am sitting on a stack of full-length novels. I've been writing novels since I was a kid. Now, granted, nothing I wrote before about 30 is worth a damn. Don't okay. get me wrong. That's the stuff that will never see the light of day. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I write um, exclusively in genre, but I jump around in genre. So I might write be writing, you know, a high fantasy one day, a horror novel the next, a science fiction novel the next. Like, I just find genre writing, A, it's just more interesting to me to be able to think about how to phrase this for a second. If you're creating an entire world from scratch, there are no limits on the themes and the metaphors and the things you can say when you have complete control over that world. Yeah. So if you're, if, you know, if you're writing a novel set in... The present day that's bound by history, that's bound by the laws of physics, then there are certain things you can't get away with because they have to fit into our world. Whereas when you're setting stories in not our world or a changed version of our world, then you're kind of free to say, well, it makes more sense if all of a sudden everyone who lives in Pittsburgh are cannibals. So I'm just going to decide that Pittsburgh is a city of cannibals. And if that's what you need to make your metaphor, sorry, Pittsburgh. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Uh... And that's what the fun of writing. You can do that. You know, like exactly. currently our world is the way it is, but if we decide, oh, we're going to throw this in there to make this weird twist, it works so wonderful. Yeah, you can fundamentally change the way anything operates from yeah. history, from physics, from human interaction. Like if you just decide, I need people to say something about people, I need them to behave differently than we would think they would. You can do that in genre fiction. Yeah. Yeah. So what is something in in this book that we won't find in others? I mean, because, you know, you said space opera, Firefly. 
what in your book is different than we've seen in other forms of media? That is a very good question. Honestly, I like to think it's the balance. I like okay. to think the reason you're getting comparisons to Firefly very specifically has less to do with the plot resembling Firefly and more to do with the fact that it has a similar balance of funny, of action, and of emotion. I, I'm a Southerner, which means I'm really bad about saying nice things about myself. I don't like doing it. It makes me feel immodest. But I am very, very proud with how that balance came out. Nice. No. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I'm the same way. I really, when it comes to talking about myself, it, I struggle with it. I can say praises for other authors and other people, no problem. But when it comes to saying something good about myself, it's like, ah, I'd rather go. Voice in my head saying, a man doesn't crow. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'd rather wrestle an alligator than try to Absolutely. say something nice about myself. I would rather get to a fight with a man I know for a fact can beat the hell out of me than be forced to like come up with something nice to say about myself yeah yeah i I don't know if it's just a creative personality or what it's just that's just how i've always been you know even like when i'm out talking to people and they're like oh yeah so tell me about your writing or something like that and it's like ah well yeah you you absolutely agree like "Eh, you're gonna hate it it's not something you would like it's sucks and no one should read it like i don't know I, I think there's definitely i think a lot of creative people have that i think you're absolutely right about that it's being sort of a weird side effect yeah. of the creative process it's one of the reasons we're also sort of needy when it comes to validation too oh, like yeah. we don't we don't want to make people read it because we think they'll hate it but we really need them to like it when it is out there like yeah. that's just the feeling in the world when someone says they actually do like it because you do not expect them to yeah like and i i think it's an interesting question why so many creative people are wired like that i think in writing specifically maybe more so than say musicians yeah i you know it it is it's like it is a piece of your soul i i think when you write and put it out there and it's really um no it i'm trying i'm blanking on the word but it's it's special or uh i'll go with that word until the other word pops into my head but you know you're afraid that someone's going to reject that part of you i guess and if they do it hurts i think it's a it's a very specific piece of you it's not a piece of someone else yeah it's not piece of it's not it's not even something you built like if i go out and i you know build a brick oven well that's great and that's a skill that I absolutely do not have, by the way. But if I did and built a brick oven and someone said, oh, I like that oven, that would be great. But that oven would be like a lot of other ovens. When you write a book, that is your book. You are the only one who could have put that story together. You are the only one who felt like that story needed to be told. And I guess there's just a piece of you that's constantly like, well, maybe it didn't. Maybe you're wrong. Like that little voice in your head is sort of inescapable. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, I that's exactly how it feels. It's like, okay, you know, and even even when someone comes up to you and says, this is so amazing, and the first, at least for me, the first thing in my head is like, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad you thought so. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you think that, but yeah, but there's always that voice in my head that's like, are you, you're, you're kidding me, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but obviously, yeah. someone thought it yeah. was. 
Someone thought it was, and that's the interesting part. Again, like I said, I've, I've written several novels, and it's honestly the only way that I ever got published was by continually writing mm-hmm. because, you know, many, many novels that got rejected before this one got accepted. So it's that notion of you have, it's like a shark. You have to just keep writing new books. Like it's that notion that you, you, because you always think the one you're working on is great, right? Yeah. Like when you're in the middle of it, you're like, hey, this one is singing. This one is humming. This is the best thing I've ever written. And then when you're done and you've like, it's finished and you know where it goes and you know how the story ends, you look back on it and you're like, well, that could have been better. Yeah. I got 40% of what I wanted to get out of that idea, but the hundred percent in my head was so much better. Yeah. Yeah, and then you then you question the whole time through editing. Yeah, is this really yeah. good? I, I, yeah, yeah. No, no absolutely. I, I'm right there with you. So, what besides writing? Uh, you know, what other things have kind of inspired you to be a writer out there in your life? Because it sounds like you're writing at a young age. What were the things that kind of popped up on the radar that made Drew want to become a writer? I think it's just, I think what to become a writer, A, just books in general. I've always been a voracious reader. My parents read to me when I was a child. Like stories have always been hugely important to me. Narrative fiction in general, whether that's books, whether that's movies, whether that's video games, has always just been a huge part of my life. In terms of a writer specifically, I honestly think it's um, kind of selfish because being a writer, I think, and you'll understand this, I think being a writer is one of the very few art forms that you can engage in purely by yourself. Yeah. Like, if you're in a band, you've got three or four other people saying, no, this is what this song should be. This is how this should be. Like, even if you're you know, working on fine art, if you're painting or throwing pottery that you've got to sort of put that in a gallery and have someone else like that goes on to market a lot faster. When you're a writer the entire breadth of that story belongs to you. Obviously if you're working in film, you know, you may write the screenplay alone, but there's what's the old saying that there's three drafts of a film, the screenplay, what happens in production, what happens in the editing bay. So by the time it comes out, it may be entirely different from your script. Like writing, I think is one of the few, certainly one of the few narrative art forms that is accomplished primarily by one person with no sort of dilution of uh, the creative vision behind it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. So for our listeners in that, that are interested in get following you, getting to know more about you or definitely keep radar because it sounds like the cover for this next book is hitting. um, I think by the time comes out it will have hit a couple days ago <laughs> all right so where can they follow you uh i love the fact that you asked me because my assistant knows all this stuff and i don't okay um, i'm on facebook i'm on twitter i'm on instagram it's all variations of drew williams irl i just don't know the actual addresses because i'm actually terrible at social media like she makes me get on there and post things she's like you have to do this you have to connect with people and i'm like but i'm a massive introvert i don't want to and then of course it's actually really fun and you get to hear like interesting stories from people and have interesting conversations you never would have yeah. it's just that initial like you need to be doing this I'm like no i don't i want to sit alone in the dark <laughs> Oh, I, I love that. That that's fantastic, right there. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I there, 
I find this a lot where a lot that you have people that are super into social media and then there's the other people like, no, I'd rather be in my room huddled under a blanket. I'm not getting on there. Um, the things it's good for, it is phenomenally good for. The downsides of it, I think, are pretty significant downsides as well. And oh, yeah. honestly, I, it's such a new technology and such a massive change to the way that we interact socially that we're still a solid couple of decades, honestly, from sort of figuring out how that all shakes out. Like whether, from a cultural perspective, any of the internet was a good idea. <laughs> I, I think in some ways it's a good idea, but like social media, oh man. Like <laughs> I see kids in the neighborhood, I see my own kids. They're just like, it's like, go ask someone to do something. And they're like, okay, I'll text them. Or they'll jump on social media. I'm like, no, go to their house, knock Over on the door, ask them to go. Yeah. Texting is doing. Yeah. Because, um, you know, growing up as a kid, I remember, you know, I got home from school, homework is done, I was out the door, I didn't come home until it was dark. Oh, absolutely. Knew all the kids in the neighborhood. You could always, it was basically just run from house to house to figure out who was also done with their homework, whose mom was going to let them go outside yeah. and just run around and, you know, not even until, like, it was dark, play flashlight tag. Like, yeah. <laughs> How many kids? I, I yeah, I literally just said kids these days. How many kids <laughs> under twelve do you think know what flashlight tag is? Uh, mine barely do. Jets just because I forced <laughs> them to do it. Like kick, <laughs> like kick the can. You know. Yeah, exactly. We moved into the the neighborhood we currently live in, and they're just like, we invited all these kids over, and they they're like, "What's kick the can?" And I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, I guess that notion that childhood has always changed. Like, childhood as we know it didn't exist before the Industrial Revolution, certainly. Yeah. Like, when we were yeah. off the cannon flashlight tag, you know, 100 years before that, we would have been working in a garment factory. Probably, like, yeah. Probably. What we think is sort of eternal is has always been changing. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. The book is out. They can they can follow you. I will get those uh, tags from your assistant so that we can post them Thank for you, you. Because I don't know what they are. Yeah, <laughs> and um, it, you're working on the second book now. How yep. many books are going to be in this series? It's either three or four. If I was an outline writer, I could tell you exactly, but okay. I'm not, so I'm making it up as I go along. So it's either three or four. Okay. There is a definitive endpoint. I know at this point where it ends. I'm just not sure how long it's going to take to get there. No, that's okay. That's that's just kind of letting the listeners know that they that it's going to be a good series. Um, it's not just going to end at book two. You got three or four more books um, yeah, yeah, yeah. to go yeah, after that's the. A, well, it's not stretching it out sort of ad infinitum, but it is sort of enough to sort of let the world breathe. Nice. So, all right, everyone. If you haven't already picked this up, which if that's if you have, that's awesome. However, <laughs> run out, pick up The Stars Now Unclaimed by Drew Williams. Yeah, I am now. I'm flabbergasted. I'm getting tongue-tied. By Drew Williams. Uh, this has been a fantastic conversation. The cover is vastly interesting. Uh, you kind of see the spread of stars. Uh, you have ships flying in towards this city. I mean, it, it's a 
It's a really nice cover. It's not too flashy, but it gets its point across. I was jazzed. That's fantastic. Yeah. So go pick up a copy now. Now, because it is out by tour, I'm assuming it's also an ebook and audiobook or audiobook soon. Ebook and audiobook are both currently available. Nice. So, for those of you that don't like having a book in your hand and like listening to audiobook while you're driving to work, this is perfect. For those of you that don't like having a book and want to just because you hate lugging tons of books around, want it on ebook, there you go. Those of you that love flipping pages like myself, the book's out for you as well. So, with that said, uh, go pick up a copy, support Drew's writing habit, because if you don't, <laughs> we'll don't see another book. And be really happy if you do. Yes. Um, so with that said, folks, we're out of here and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>